and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have none other than one of my good friends, one of the most pragmatic progressives in the country, someone who gets it right on issues we care about, including big tech, none other than Representative and Congressman Ro Khanna. How are you feeling today, brother? Bakari, great to be on. Honor to be on. I love your voice uh, whenever I hear it on CNN or uh, other uh, commentary. You're always spot on, even when you're criticized, I guess. You, I was like, we got to take this seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the criticism comes from a good place. So don't don't ever fret over that. <laughs> I know that. I know that you're, you're good at messaging. You know, I, my whole thing has been the president has accomplished so much, but we got to be able to communicate that to people. And uh, I think sometimes you break it down very well in terms of what we've actually done. Oh, I agree with that. So we start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And yours is one that spanned politics, law, government, higher education, and business. Can you talk us about the various stops in your career from your political campaign work in college to what you do now? Sure. Well, I'm the son of immigrants. I was born in Philadelphia. My parents immigrated from India. My grandfather was my inspiration in pol for politics, was in Gandhi's independence movement. He was in jail four years, 1942 to 1946. I was grew up in Philadelphia, went to Chicago. I had the uh, coincidence of getting to uh, work on President Obama's very first campaign, a state Senate campaign. Now, I don't want to exaggerate my role. I probably knocked on uh, doors once or twice. It was because there was a guy, Will Burns, who was uh, uh, the uh, field director uh, at the time who I knew from uh, he did a volunteer organization at Chicago. So I had a letter from o Obama from back then. And, and then after law school, moved out to California. Partly I was excited about technology in Silicon Valley and wanted to go out there, uh, practice law, representing uh, startups. Uh, Obama wins and I get the opportunity to go serve and as a deputy assistant secretary of commerce, where my job was to bring back uh, manufacturing increase exports across the country, our 109 commerce offices. Uh, then got, wrote a book about that, uh, got to teach at Stanford. A uh, new district came out, uh, which was the heart of Silicon Valley. Look, my district has $11 trillion of market cap, Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo, Cisco, LinkedIn, Tesla. And I thought someone uh, who understands tech ought to represent it. I ran, lost, ran again and, and won, and have been in Congress now about five years. What made you run for Congress? I mean, with that wealth of experience, you've actually made a couple of dollars in your lifetime. Why, why the United States Congress? I thought it was so important. My view back then, and it's increasingly true now, is that it really matters what we do with technology and understanding technology for three reasons. One, you know, we can get into this, but there are going to be 25 million digital jobs. That's more than manufacturing, traditional manufacturing and construction combined. I said, it can't all pile up in Silicon Valley and Boston and all, all the wealth can't pile up there. We got to figure out how we get this distributed. Two, we got to figure out how to regulate tech in a smart way because it's influencing our democracy. And three, we got to stay ahead of China. So I thought I, you know, everyone has things that they're good at. I thought I understood tech and I could make a contribution uh, running from that district. I mean, you do have the most tech savvy, the tech hub of maybe a stretch to say the world, but definitely this hemisphere. Um, talk to me about this new book project, though, because it kind of, what you just said leads right into, you know, the dignity that you talk about. Why did you write this book? Well, it's called Dignity in a Digital Age, because my sense was, you know, when you poll young people in my district, uh, they are 
optimistic about America. And when you go to other parts of the country, sometimes people say, well, we've had deindustrialization. Uh, we have to get a one-way ticket out for our kids. We don't have the same economic opportunity. You can't have $11 trillion, all the wealth piling up here in my district and not have rural America, middle America, black and brown communities included. And, you know, when I had gone with Tim Ryan to see uh, Representative Clyburn and we were at uh, Claflin and I was talking to young folks and they have the same dreams as kids in my district. They want to start businesses. They want to build wealth. What are we doing to give them an on-ramp to wealth generation? You know, people keep talking about this racial wealth gap, which is 10 to 1. Well, we have a bigger problem. We have a racial wealth generation gap. You're, you're, the gap is getting worse. And that is because so many people are shut out of the engines of modern wealth generation in the digital economy. The book is all about how do we get more people access to that? What do you want readers to get out of it? I mean, is there a blueprint and who, and who is this book written for? And I have one more question along the same lines, but I won't yeah. bundle, bundle the questions up too tough. Well, the simple ones are always the toughest, but the book is written for uh, folks who are sort of curious, suspicious about technology. If you've ever heard, you know, tell coal miners to become a coders and you think that's really dumb, then you should read this book because this book is saying, no, that's not the issue. You don't you don't have to become a coder. You don't have to uh, go work at Google. That technology is actually going to be the new manufacturing jobs, the new retail jobs, the new sales jobs. And that if you don't have the basic comfort level with software and technology, then uh, you won't have the opportunity or kids won't have the opportunity to thrive in the professions you've done for generations. And so the, the book is trying to get technology to be demystified for folks. And then, you know, it talks about sort of practical ideas. You know, one of the ideas that didn't make it and everyone wants their idea in the State of the Union. But I said the president should say we're going to have two million new digital jobs in rural America and black and brown communities and convene tech leaders, HBCU, land-grant universities, or how you do this. Because right now, I think the curriculum isn't geared towards what actually can get hired, and companies aren't doing enough. I think a lot more can be done to get people opportunities in, in the digital economy. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. And you're actually doing something that's parallel along that and a piece of legislation that I want to talk about. Let me also just ask this simple question. What did you learn while you were writing this book? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about this process? What was something that you learned 
because a lot of authors, when they're writing, they, yeah. they're like, oh my God, I never, never realized this or recognize this. What's something you learned as you were going through this process? I learned how much people get it. You know, I, I, I was initially hesitant to go to, to, to rural communities or to go to HBCUs and it's like, okay, here's this tech guy from the Bay Area and, and what am I going to say? And, you know, people understand that the economy is changing. They understand technology. I was shocked at how sophisticated the conversations were in these communities uh, and how common the aspirations were uh, in communities, particularly for young people. And I, I came away thinking uh, that, you know, I probably had uh, stereotypes about uh, other parts of the country and, and, and how actually they already get a lot of the changing economy. And I also came away from a political perspective thinking one of our big missing messages is wealth generation and providing people with opportunity. I mean, we talk a lot about fairness and obviously the importance of voting rights, which are fundamental and making sure people aren't getting shot in the streets by cops, all, all sort of foundational. But what about just kids' dreams, right? I mean, they, you know, I would go to these places and they say, how do I start a business? How do I get hired? I think we don't talk enough about that or, or we certainly don't do enough about that. I mean, that's a pitch perfect note, you know, Congressman. I will tell you that, I mean, that's the messaging that people want to hear. You know, a lot of times black folk are tired of, you know, we, we care about voting rights. We care about criminal justice reform. We want to fix those issues, but nobody talks to us about wealth creation. Nobody talks to us about STEM. Nobody talks to us about how to crack into these new fields of automation. And I'm glad that you actually took the time out to, to learn those things and do those things and have those conversations. Along those same lines, though, you're, you know, you, you, I wanted to commit some time in this interview to um, this new piece of legislation, or I don't want to say new, but this piece of legislation, the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act slash the America Compete Act slash the Make It in America Act. Can you explain what this bill does and why we need it? I think this is one of the president's great, great legacies. And I was honored to be part of it and working with Senator Schumer and Mike Gallagher, Todd Young, it's bipartisan. It's the largest investment in science and technology since the Kennedy years. Here's the first thing. It's going to make sure we lead and not China in AI and quantum computing and clean technology and synthetic biology. Second, it's going to create tech hubs uh, on these different industries around America, around the Midwest, around the South, and in diverse communities. So it's not all going to go just to Silicon Valley or MIT. And then third, it's going to do things like Intel to Ohio. Here's what I can't understand for the life of me. You know, when Trump talked about the carrier deal, which was total uh, PR imaging, no jobs really were created. President Biden has delivered. We're getting $20 billion of Intel money into Ohio. It's the revitalization of the entire state. He talked about it in the State of the Union. And uh, I don't think the message is out, but this is huge. I mean, this is going to create 7,000 construction and manufacturing jobs. And that's being part of this bill because the bill is giving money for the semiconductor industry so we can have semiconductor manufacturing across the country. Can you help folks understand why conductor chips are so important? And like, talk to me about the chip shortage and how this bill addresses that. Well, here's why the chips matter. First of all, almost anything you use, whether it's a car, whether it's a, a phone for Zoom, requires a semiconductor chip. And one of the reasons car prices went through the roof is we get a lot of our semiconductor chips from Taiwan and South Korea. And when COVID happened, the shipping costs went through the roof. And so uh, there was a shortage of semiconductor chips coming here. And, and people saw this, they paid for it but with higher prices. Now, 
the other thing is we invented the semiconductor chip, but all the good jobs in production are in Taiwan and South Korea. Why shouldn't those good jobs be here in the United States? The Chips Act says we want to produce these semiconductor chips here so that uh, we don't have a shortage of these semiconductors again and so that we can create these $100,000 jobs, $70,000 jobs in the United States. And this bill, I believe, if I read it correctly, I was just flipping back to it to look at my notes, is going to make historic investments in HBCUs, but also, you know, a lot of poor rural K-12 through schools like the ones in South Carolina. Can you talk about some of those investments that are going to be made? Absolutely. I mean, it's going to make uh, significant investments in HBCUs. I mean, the president had called for uh, a massive investment of, uh, I think, $10 billion a year, which is what's needed. It doesn't do quite as much, but it, it's going to do a few billion for the HBCUs in STEM, in technology, uh, and in uh, these STEM programs uh, in, uh, in, in, in rural communities. You know, one of the things I, I talk about in the book, and it's a bit academic, but I think it's worth making the point. William Julius Wilson, in truly disadvantaged, wrote about deindustrialization in black communities in, uh, in uh, the 1980s. And he talked about despair there. And uh, Deaths of Despair Now, a book about rural white America, makes the same point. The deindustrialization is causing this in rural white communities. It's just people now woke up to it because, you know, when William Julius Wilson was saying it, uh, it wasn't widespread enough. But the point is that there's actually this commonality between people who have been left out, either through schooling or because of their colleges or because of the economic activity in rural white communities and in, in, in many black communities. And we ought to be having place-based policies investing in economic development and job creation. You mentioned something earlier, because we're not hearing a lot about this at all. Um, after Build Back Better, has the press failed? I mean, they, they, the press hasn't been covering many of these accomplishments. And did reporters just stop doing their jobs after Build Back Better fell apart? Well, you know, this is a common complaint that Chuck Schumer has. He calls me every now and then. He says, brother, I know they don't cover this. That's just because we're not fighting about it. But this is significant. I mean, this is the largest investment in science and technology. Let me say that one more time. This is President Kennedy. And it's creating, you know, you could argue that President Biden has done more for the revitalization of Ohio than any president in the last 30 years, $20 billion of new jobs. The, the, Tad Geldinger, the CEO, goes in there. He talks about a new patriotism, a new excitement. And by the way, it's bipartisan. The governor there is a, a Republican. But, you know, I mean, it's a hard because it's not infighting. It's a, it's a positive message, uh, hard to get out. But I think we've got to just be better as a, a party in, in, in kind of championing our own accomplishments. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you speak in my language. Does any part of Build Back Better pass? We get, I think we get the climate, if you do climate, if you do universal preschool, and you do some Medicaid expansion, I think you can get a deal. I think you can get Mansion on board with that, uh, you know, and it's what Fiber cares very much with the Medicaid expansion, and then everyone cares about climate. So my view you is just let's get climate. Mansion is fine with $400 billion on climate. He doesn't want the MEP. He doesn't want the, um, you know, the clean energy pro program. Basically, he doesn't want any of the penalties, but he's fine with the investment in new energy. And that's that's big. I mean, look, I'd rather have some of the penalties too, but if we could just get the investment and in, in renewables, and here's how I would frame it. If John F. Kennedy went to the moon to beat the Soviets, today we need to go uh, have a moonshot in renewable energy to beat petro states like Russia and Saudi Arabia. I think people get that. We don't want to be dependent on their oil, and we don't want their to, them to have value. So let's have that moonshot.
but here, one other thing, Victoria, and look, the president, I, people know I was a co-chair of Bernie Sanders' campaign. I, I've had the opportunity to, to uh, meet the president. He's the most gracious person. He'll ask you, what do you think? What do you want? You know, he'll spend hours with every, every legislator. I think what we need, though, here is just let's have Manchin and the Senate come up with what could pass and the president, you know, say, OK, this is my deal and go vote for it. Like, we don't need to hear from 20 members of Congress and 20 senators. Like, that's the only way this is going to happen. That sounds easy, but I, I, we know what Manchin wants. I'm not sure we know what Cinema wants, but that's neither here nor there. Um, a couple couple last questions before I let you go. Um, what do Democrats need to do between now and November to better their chances at retaining the House and retaining the Senate? I think we have to follow one script. I believe uh, the president's script in the State of the Union was actually very strong. It was talking about what, what have Democrats delivered? What are we doing in terms of creating good jobs across the country? What are we doing to uh, tackle inflation, put, put more money in the pockets of working families, uh, cut the, some of the gas prices in places that they're high gas taxes, cut those? Uh, and what are we going to do uh, going forward if we have a few more Democrats? And then finally, I think we have to contrast it with, do you want craziness? I mean, if, if that is what Republicans in charge will be. They will kick off Schiff from this committee. They will kick off Swalwell. They will impeach Joe Biden. Uh, you know, and people say, look, we're tired. We had to fight Trump in 16. We had to fight him in 20. And I got to be honest, we're going to have to fight him in 22. We're going to have to fight him or his movement in 24. Like, this is a battle for our democracy, and it's not a one-cycle thing. So, yes, every election cycle in the next few election cycles are going to be the most important for American democracy. We're in one of those moments in our country. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, you talk about your relationship with Joe Biden, but there was an article that just came out about you running for president of the United States. Tell me about that. Now, you would be a handsome president. I'd have to get 110% in 
I'm 110% bad, Joe Biden. You know what it is? It's uh, people, uh, every member of every, it used to be every senator got one of those. Now they, now they extend to the members of Congress. But I'm, 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 I'm 110% uh, for Biden, uh, President Biden. I hope he runs. If he doesn't run for some reason, I'll be for someone else. And I'll tell you why. I, I think we need the best person to beat Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that President Biden, maybe if he doesn't run, someone else will emerge. But there'll be plenty of time for a future generation, multiracial, multiethnic democracy. This is a moment where we need someone like Biden. And he, he can win Pennsylvania, Ohio. Uh, you are, I, I really hope. Your self-awareness is, uh, is part of your charm. It's part of the, way, the reason that people are really glad that you're there. Tell the folk how they can follow you. Tell the folk how they can buy your book. I really appreciate that. My books, you can go either, uh, obviously, on Amazon or if you want to support your local bookstore, that's great. Uh, you Google it, Rokana or Dignity in a Digital Age, and they'll give you a lot of options of, of where you can get it. Uh, and and it's beyond the, you know, this, Bakari uh, is a, so it was written, uh, so it's no longer in the first few weeks, so it's heavily discounted, which is, which is good. Uh, and then uh, in terms of following me at Rokana on Twitter, and uh, I love engaging back and forth uh, to, to the... Sometimes, sometimes people on my staff don't like it, but I think it's fun. And if you hit tweet at me, the decent chance I'll, I'll reply. Well, look, somebody who literally enjoys Congress. I don't know how he enjoys it, but he does. And he does a damn good job. Thank you, Rob Connell, for joining the Bakari Thomas podcast. Thank you, Bakari. Big fan of yours. Appreciate you having me on. All right. We'll have a drink when we're in D.C., man. Thank you so much for working through all the difficulties.